What is the state of mental health among mental health practitioners, especially after COVID? How can self-service mindfulness techniques like three-part breathing help combat burnout and compassion fatigue? What is brain spotting? How can therapists leverage the basic yet powerful adage that, quote, where you look affects how you feel to help their clients effectively process trauma, sometimes more so than with traditional talk therapy? And what is subtle yoga and how can it help ground us, strengthen our connection with the present, and strike a balance between our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system? Also, um, will it uh, will it help me get abs? Stay tuned as we touch on these and many other topics on this week's episode of Untether Your Life. Welcome to Untether Your Life, a show that empowers you to own your own health and break free of templates for managing physical and mental wellness and looks at key issues impacting the South Asian diaspora. I am your host, Nikhil Torsikar, and I'm passionate about the power of conversation to catalyze change. A false dichotomy exists in the mental health field between traditional modalities such as cognitive behavioral therapy and, quote, holistic or alternative approaches that leverage yoga, breathwork, and meditation. There's apprehension and mistrust on both sides, with many practitioners rigidly clinging to a narrowly defined professional toolkit like dogma. In this world, this week's guest, Chris McDonald, is a breath of fresh air, a therapist who seamlessly interweaves both traditional and holistic modalities in her practice. Chris McDonald is a holistic therapist, yogi, meditation teacher, author, and host of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. She owns a group online practice called Path to Hope Counseling. She is a 200-hour registered yoga teacher, is certified in brain spotting, and offers gentle yoga to clients in session, and offers private yoga sessions. She specializes in treatment of anxiety, depression, trauma, and grief in young adults. As the author of Self-Care for the Counselor, she has helped many therapists prioritize their own mental health and wellness. She is also a meditation teacher on the Aura app and Insight Timer. And with that, let's get untethered. So Chris, uh, quite a background there. Is there anything else you want to add beyond what I had uh, shared just there? I think that about covers it. So that's a lot right there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Chris, one of the things I mentioned to you as we were talking is the reason I'm very interested in your journey and your platform is just in therapy, I think there's really a dichotomy. There are practitioners who are quote unquote traditional, and then there are practitioners who are as we would say, either alternative or holistic or, you know, for lack of a better word. But I love the way that you have blended both of these fields because I really think for therapy to be effective, it's not a binary thing. It's not a black and white. And I like the way that you have blended these two worlds. So I guess before we dive into that, though, I'd like to learn more about how you came to this point in your professional journey, sort of what led up to this, what informed this, sort of like the connect the dots for us, if you would. So I was actually a school counselor for 16 years and worked in the system for a while and just got tired of that. And I had started with meditation when I was young and I started to read books, you know, and, and just was kind of exploring a little bit. And as I moved forward, I joined a meditation group and learned more about that, about Buddhism meditation and joined the Sangha where we'd meet weekly and meditate. And that's where I really dove in that was probably 2017 and started to do meditation daily and making these consistent practices. And then I got my yoga certification in 2019. 
And this was not a place I thought I'd ever be. So I never, when I was a kid, thought I'm going to be a therapist or a yoga teacher. But you know what? Things shift and change and that's okay. And and I've really grown and changed who I am. And it really has made a profound impact on who I am too. I think just being a yogi and embracing that and as well as being a therapist and I integrate both personally and professionally. And I think that's what makes it a little different than me than other therapists is this is who I am to the core that I'm passionate about. And I love to spread the word on all of this and share these practices with as many people as possible because I believe in how much this can help people to find their inner peace and calm and be able to regulate their nervous systems. It's so essential. And and then I, I moved with this podcast um, called the Holistic Counseling Podcast because I wanted to spread the word to therapists that we can use these practices. We can use lots of holistic practices and it's totally within our scope of practice and competence and the ethics are there. As long as we get our training, we can use these practices because a lot of therapists are hesitant and stuck in traditional models, which are more talk therapy, cognitive approaches, which are great. They all have their place. But for me, this has up-leveled the treatment I offer for clients. I feel like it gives a little bit more and I teach them skills they can practice at home, uh, which is so important for overall positive mental health and wellness. So Chris, the word holistic obviously is pretty yeah. broad and all-encompassing. And I think what I found in managing my mental health to be extremely helpful, extremely beneficial, because really the, the beauty is it gets to the root of the issue rather than what I would say is a transactional approach in traditional mental health care, which is just, okay, you were having uh, depression, take Wellbutrin, or you're having anxiety, take a Xanax, et cetera. And as we know, and you take these pills, there's always side effects. And sometimes the side effects can be worse. And then it almost becomes like a game of whack-a-mole uh, where you're just trying to cancel out these symptoms. The other side of that, though, is that it can be a little bit overwhelming. I always like to say when you're going into this realm, it's like going through the proverbial rabbit hole because there's so many different modalities, different practitioners, different cultural spin on these different practices. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you manage that when you first got into it? You know, what was the best way for you to get up to speed without in the process kind of driving yourself batty, <laughs> trying to <laughs> absorb all this information because it's just, you know, it's like the drinking from the firehouse almost. Yeah, there is. And, and that's one thing I'm still learning is how many different kinds of holistic modalities there are out there. And you know, I even have repeat guests on some of the similar topics, but everybody brings something different. So I think there's so much we can learn from all different kinds of providers in this field. That's one reason I have my podcast too. But but yeah, navigating that is challenging. But I think once that you experiment and try something new and you really connect with it, for me, it's a body, mind, spirit, just a holistic view. Because this isn't just something mentally that I'm like, oh, I like breath work because I know research says that it helps calm the nervous system. I mean, we could say that scientifically, but to me, like I said, spiritually, I connect with all this. This to me is just so such a profound experience to, to be able to engage in these practices with therapy and to teach them as well. But we always have what's called informed consent with therapy too. So, and, th and that's every single time that I offer this with clients because I will ask them, so how would you feel about doing some yoga today? And if they say, no, that's cool. We'll do something else or just stay with talk therapy. So it's it's one of those things that, you know, the client guides us too, but I can be there as a facilitator, as a guide to figure out, you know, when would be best for them, but also giving them the reins that, you know, you let me know if some of the practices we're doing that really resonate with you, if, if you want to do them again, 
speak up. Let me know. Because sometimes they'll, we'll start a session. They'll be like, can we please do some grounding? Of course. So let's do some grounding to start the session. Or, you know, maybe in the middle, I notice they're getting really activated. Well, let's pause for a moment and maybe do some breathing, just depending on what's going on with them and, and just trying to get them more centered into themselves. And it's, to me, it's like magic using some of these practices because I can see it on their face. It's just like a soothing kind of energy, just, and they're able to focus more because the problem is neurologically, the front of our brain goes offline. If we're in fight or flight response uh, in our nervous system, that it's really hard to tap into the cognitive parts and remember and memory. And it's just, we need to settle things down so that we can be able to really engage in talk therapy. You bring up a great point is that you can actually see the changes that are happening right in front of you. I mean, in one of our episodes, we talk about how uh, my wife and I actually went and did a breathwork session with my son's third grade class. And, you know, I think kids are, as you know, I mean, they can be challenging, but also I think when they're absorbing things, yeah. it's really the best time to teach them because their minds are so fertile and they haven't adopted a lot of those bad habits that we've all become For saddled sure. with uh, over the years. So really it is it is rewarding to see the impact that you can have with these simple introductions. Like for us, it was box breathing, you know, and that's just such a basic thing, but it has such a profound impact on people's stress management about their ability to, as you mentioned, get out of that fight or flight mode. One of the things that you talk about is the fact that you are an active practitioner of yoga, incorporating it for therapy. Now, I'll be the first to admit with yoga, I have had kind of a mixed relationship just because I have personally found it, you know, at least when people talk about their traditional definition of yoga, it can be pretty taxing. And, you know, I, I probably every session I've gone to, I've ended up pulling something or straining something. Or wow, what kind of yoga are you going to, Nikhil? <laughs> yeah, extreme <laughs> yoga. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and that's what I wanted to ask you about is that. Sure. Um, that's just a form called subtle yoga. And it sounds like it's more alert or targeted towards mental health versus yes. for physical fitness. So if you could talk a little bit more about subtle yoga, sort of what Absolutely. distinguishes it from quote unquote regular yoga and how it can be beneficial for mental health. So that's a great question because I think that that's one of the things that I talk to clients about as well, because a lot of people have connotations in their mind of what yoga is. And it's not just fitness class. That That's kind of motion. I think that people, I think, I think it's moving back away from it, back to what traditional yoga roots are, which is really to center ourselves and be present and drop in our bodies and not just for this physical fitness. So the yoga I teach is not to give you abs. It's not to build muscle. <laughs> Sometimes there can be a little strength, but it, it's more about, think about it as nervous system yoga. So there's different postures or movements we can do that can ground us. I help ground clients, which means if you're not sure what grounding is, that just means kind of centering, kind of calming things down, getting connected to the earth. Or the opposite with depression is more energy, right? So think about energetic yoga. So there, those are two different ways that I might work with a client. But some things are both. So some some breath work I might teach, they might, some people feel both grounded and they might feel energized, like with three-part breath, which is a breath work that I teach through my sessions. And it varies the results. So we never know. Everybody's so individual with these practices. Sure. But yeah, so so it's not considered like, quote unquote, this is an exercise that we're doing, like physical exercise. This is resilience yoga. 
So this is really taking it to interoception, which is noticing what's going on in the body. So where am I right now? Because a lot of times, especially with trauma, I treat a lot of trauma. People get stuck in their heads for safety, right? It's not safe to be in their body if they've experienced trauma. So it's that gradual progression of getting them back in the body. And that's part of my holistic process is using what's called somatic therapy. So getting the body involved in the process, noticing sensations, noticing what is there, where's tension in the body. Because a lot of people live from the neck up and (laughs) I get a lot of overthinkers too. And and they don't even recognize it sometimes. It's just like, that's where they live most of their time. So it's just once we start to be like, let's just settle in the body. They kind of look at me like, what are you talking about? What does that mean? I don't even know what that means. You know, but that, that dissociation can also be part of the nervous system regulation, right? With trauma, some people are dissociated from their bodies because it was not safe. And and so to be able to work with that, to, to gradually get them in that process of in their bodies is a start. So sometimes it is just grounding practices, which is just getting to the present moment. I use what's called sensory grounding, just kind of noticing things you see in the room. Could be shapes, colors, um, noticing sounds, using all our senses. Scent, what do you smell? What do you taste? And it's so powerful. And combining that with mindfulness techniques as well. So really trying to tune into the present moment experience, which is kind of, I integrate that with, with yoga and movement. And it's something that I use gradually. I believe in building the relationship before going into any asana, which I think most people think asana is the postures. That's not all yoga. Yoga is meditation. It's just one of the limbs is the movement. We have meditation and breath work, which is also part of yoga. So integrating all of these together and figuring out the best way to help a client and to really look at what do they need individually as a person, you know? You're so right. I mean, there is definitely a lot of misconceptions about yoga. I always say like it's been distorted where it's just like, People think it's all about contorting yourself into a pretzel. Oh, that too. Doing yeah. all these unnatural poses that you weren't meant to, to do. But really, that's, yeah, that is just one facet of it. Because as I'm sure you know, obviously, uh, yoga, the word in Sanskrit, it, it means union or control. And that's really what the objective is at the end of the day, is to gain more control over your mind, body, and spirit. And not just by just doing the physical activities. It's really about returning to center, finding that grounding. And that looks different for every every client, obviously. No two people have the same journey. Now, breath work, I want to drill into that a little bit more because when people say the word breath work, I'd say like the most common technique that's widely known is pretty easy to practice is box breathing. That's something that's pretty easy to teach, but there are a whole host of different schools of, of this uh, modality. You know, there's holotropic, there's Wim Hof, there's the one that I'm a big fan of, which is uh, Soma breath. I, I want to understand, Chris, is there a specific school of breath work that has really resonated with you that you practice or have you adapted your own or what's what's been your approach to your breath work? Yeah, I have a course on breath work I did recently. Um, it was geared towards therapists because part of my goal is to teach therapists how to use these practices in treatment too. And I've done a lot of research on this, but also in my yoga training. So I learned a lot of yogic breath, like three-part breath, which is breathing from your belly to feeling your ribs and then all the way up to your collarbone. So it's like three-part process and then just kind of exhaling it out can be a really soothing practice. And what I've learned from my teachers is that we want to be careful with that because we what we don't want to do with breath work is to get someone into sympathetic activation, which can happen if people are over breathing. And 
you might have experienced this, listeners, if you've ever felt dizzy or just like, whoa, a little woozy mm-hmm. trying to do some breath work. Yeah. That means you're over-breathing and you might be turned on the sympathetic nervous system. So that's when it's a good idea yeah. to stop. Most people are familiar, but maybe if you yes. delineate between sympathetic and parasympathetic sure. nervous system. Mm-hmm. So the sympathetic response is what's it's there to keep us safe, basically. So like, especially when we're primitive cavemen and women and you know, there's saber-toothed tiger comes and of course our system turns on where our pupils dilate and our heart beats fast, our breathing shallow to either fight this or get out of there, right? Flight, run. But unfortunately with modern life, our system can be stuck on go with that. And a lot of times that that can cause a lot of physical problems too, as we're stuck with cortisol that's released and all these hormones that all the time, if we're in that that mode, then it's going to cause a lot of mental health issues and anxiety. And, you know, I see that every day that people that really have trouble relaxing and, and can't seem to calm their systems down. So yeah, that's more of the sympathetic response. But then we have the parasympathetic, which is the opposite, which is the more calming response the more relaxed. So we try to turn that on. If somebody's in the anxiety or anger, rage, or you could think of all those as sympathetic emotion states. Then we try to turn on the parasympathetic, the soothing nervous system. But some people get stuck in the parasympathetic and that can be with depression, dissociation. So we, we got to find that balance to be able to be in that, what I call the window of tolerance, if, if anyone's familiar with that, which is, you know, that place where we feel chill and just smooth sailing, things and are flow, going well yeah. and flow. Yeah. And then we are less reactive when we're in the window of tolerance. And that's what we work on in, in yoga and in my sessions too, is we kind of work on the edges of that window. So to push, push a little bit, maybe right. hold that pose a little bit longer for distress tolerance, but just, yeah. just knowing that we're, I'm not trying to put people in sympathetic arousal either. It's such a challenge, Chris, as a therapist, because, mm-hmm. you know, striking that balance, because there are just two extremes. I think one is where yes. you are, what I would call like a cheerleader. I've been through more therapists than I care to count. And, uh, you know, there have been therapists where it's almost like they feel like their job is to pat you on the back, say you're doing a great job, even though, you know, your life is in shambles. But hey, you know, you're, you're doing a great job. No, it's like their purpose in some respects, it's almost like hold up a real an actual mirror and sort of help you to understand the situation yes. a little bit better than this, what I would call like looking through the looking glass or this funhouse mirror of reality, which with mental illness sometimes presents itself where things are happening objectively that everybody else around you can see them, but you have this completely different perception or this different takeaway, if you will. But then at the other extreme, you know, I think if somebody is in a very fragile state, then it can really backfire. I think if you do push them too hard or too fast, everyone I think has to find that healing journey. They need to navigate that on their own. And as a therapist, I would say, you know, you're there to guide them and and not be overly proscriptive, but just sort of be a, a sounding board as well. Yeah, it's that clinical judgment that we develop as therapists. But I, as a holistic therapist, I have intuition that I've really Mm. developed and use that. And I use my spirit guides and I talk to angels. And yes, that might sound out there for some people, but that's part of who I am and what I believe. And I really like to bring my whole self, my spiritual self in this as well. So a lot of times with therapists, they don't talk about spirituality, but 
for me, it's a part of what I do. So if somebody wants to talk about that, then I support that. And with whatever clients believe, if, if they want to call, you know, on God or whoever they believe, it's okay. You know, because to mm-hmm. me, that could be part yeah. of their treatment plan. If they want to use that for their coping, then let's encourage that, those practices, if that's what they believe and that's what helps them. And where are, I mean, I obviously no two clients are created the same, but sure. where are clients typically in their journey when they come to you, Chris? Because obviously, I mean, you know, with your marketing, with the podcast, it's pretty clear that you're embracing different parts of the Eastern healing toolkit, if you will. It's not like they're going to come in and it's going to be like this completely out of left field. I think they understand sort of what is going to be. Most do. Sometimes they don't. (laughs) But tell me a little bit more, Chris, where are clients typically in their journey? Is it something that they have explored and maybe they need somebody to help them navigate it? Or is it something that, hey, I'm completely in the dark. You need to take me from A to Z and what is yeah. what is parasympathetic, that kind of thing. Where are they typically in their journey? Majority of people I see, they come to me because they're interested in holistic. They've tried the medication route. They've tried mm-hmm. all kinds of traditional therapy. Some people for years and they're just stuck and they're not able to move forward. So a lot of times they they end up with me or they want brain spotting, which is another modality that I offer using the visual field for, for therapy to be able to process things. Some have already started some meditation or maybe have tried some yoga but haven't really done a consistent practice because part of what I teach too is to develop these practices consistently and not waiting the band-aid approach until I'm anxious. So if we can start breathing, breathing practices daily, then what you're doing is opening that window of tolerance so that you're able to stay in that calm much longer and less things will be as stressful for you. You'll be less reactive. So you're actually Mm -hmm. changing your brain by keeping yourself in that parasympathetic state. Because a lot of times if, if you're just waiting until you're a 10 on a scale of one to 10 with 10 being the most stressed and I'm going to do my breathing, but it doesn't work. No, it's not going to work at a 10. (laughs) So it's also part two of that is identifying how do I know that I'm moving up that number scale with my anxiety, for an example. And let's say, okay, I know at my chest, I feel the sensation. I'm at a four. I better, I should do some breathing now. So it's kind of both. So preventative, I call it. So practicing when you're not stressed, but then really tuning in that awareness. Again, going back to the interoception, noticing what are my cues that I'm starting to get anxious and I'm having a difficult time instead of waiting until you're having a full-blown panic because that's much harder to calm down. Yeah. I mean, the saying, as you know, is just an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I think that so many people, because they are looking for that quick fix and you know, we're so wedded to our to-do list that that is the primary driver of, of all of our activity throughout the day versus really tuning into how we feel. If I'm hearing you correctly, I think there's something like the five, what is it? The five, four, three, two, one yes. technique where it's mm-hmm. like you just engage all the senses and then yes. at least re-engage with your surroundings rather than just looking at your phone and checking you know, your latest uh, Instagram update, whatnot. It's just really anchoring yourself into-, into That's it. Yeah, yeah. For sure. and I, and I, th- I think that is is so needed, and I, that's why I really I applaud you for driving awareness of that. Not just because you know we're becoming like health and wellness junkies. You know, we need the latest, <laughs> the latest meditation. We're gonna start oh, for sure twenty one day challenge. You know, I've got the call map or the Headspace app. When we think about these things, we really think about as the general consumer needing health and wellness techniques. But you know, obviously those consumers can listen to your podcast. But what I like sure. is the fact that you're serving practitioners because I think they really, they and you, I guess by extension, but practitioners 
I think are really in need of this because there's almost this, there's this compunction have this very stoic attitude and to sort of take the weight of the world on their shoulders. And as a result, there's no outlet that the pressure valve doesn't get released. And so I'm sure those end up manifesting as problems, whether it's substance abuse or physical ailments. I, I don't know if that's something that um, you could speak to that kind of what you've seen as the status of mental health among uh, practitioners. That's a good point. That's why I wrote my book, Self-Care for the Counselor, years ago, because mm -hmm. I noticed that once I got into these practices and did them regularly, how much more I could stay less reactive and be able to stay calm. So it took a lot more to get me into my sympathetic state and I was able to stay calmer and get calmer quicker. So let's say I did get activated, I was able to get to my my center much sooner. So I really wanted to share these practices with other therapists so that they could also learn some of these skills. Most therapists struggle to use self-care for themselves because especially, you know, and I hate to say this, but women especially, you know, we want to care, we take care of everybody else and then forget about ourselves. So I think, sure. you know, especially in the U.S., there's that vibe of women take care and make sure everyone else is okay and be self less, right? Which mm -hmm. especially with, I know a lot of moms feel that way that, you know, they have to do everything for everyone and then they're lost, right? And they don't get anything for themselves, nothing left for themselves. So that that's one reason I created my book as well is to help people be able to holistically help themselves and find these strategies in all the different parts of ourselves. Because we're more than just therapists or practitioners. You know, we right. have all these other parts and if they're being neglected, we're not going to be as effective as therapists, period. We're just not. So I believe we're role models too. And be able, we have an as an ethical imperative that we take care of ourselves. And but I wanted to be there to to help therapists along that journey too. You know, because and the other thing is since the pandemic, there's been a lot more burnout, I think, and sure. compassion fatigue with therapists. It's just there's we have to help ourselves even more than you think there's more self-care is even needed than you ever thought that you might need because it is it's so much trauma from that and we don't even understand do they they don't even know how much trauma and problems that people are experiencing post pandemic i know there's still some covid out there but i think yeah. from from having all that that worldwide trauma we're, we're seeing the effects now in the mental health world we're seeing it more than other places i think i mean i haven't looked at the stats or anything but with the pandemic obviously in some respects, you know, Zoom became like this godsend because for some respects, because people, you know, were able to have more meetings, they were able to be more productive because obviously there was less commute time, et cetera. But the downside of that is when you have in-person contact, whether it's a business meeting or a therapy session, there's a clear demarcation, I think, between that exchange and then your downtime or whatever. Whereas with Zoom, I mean, you know, there'll be times when I'm on a Zoom call and heating my dinner or dropping my kids off for soccer practice. It's just this 24-7 thing. Exactly. We're always on. What I really like about the practices that you're espousing and promoting is that it's a um it's a self-serve type thing because it's, when you think about traditional therapy, there's a clear marker between, okay, you know, session starts now and then it's it's over at this time. That's it. Then you're on your own. Whereas with things like box breathing, with alternate nostril breathing, with essential oils, it's something you can do wherever. It doesn't yes. cost anything. And there's strength in numbers too, because you can find, and you mentioned Sangha, that's so important, the sense of community. community you can find yeah. people that you can form like a, a breath work circle or a yoga circle or whatever, you know, whatever works for you, you don't have to have this 
clear cutoff between, okay, therapy is in session now, and then I have to go back to putting on this mask of I have everything together. You know, it's something that you can interweave into your uh, daily routine. So yeah, definitely, uh, de- definitely think that it pays dividends. Now, what has the reception been, Chris, among therapists? Have you found that they're overall receptive to these holistic practices? Do you find, you know, the the woo-woo term gets kind of thrown uh, <laughs> in regards? Like, what what is the general feedback you're getting from the community? Surprisingly, most people are pretty supportive and interested. Like some more traditional therapists are just like, that's nice. <laughs> They're not going to learn any right. of this. They have no interest in sure. coming to my free Facebook group. Cool, that's okay. cool story, bro. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> Pat on the back, right? Good for you. (laughs) But they're not my people, right? So my people are those that are interested in this and want to be a part of this. Because I have a Facebook group called um, the Holistic Counseling and Self-Care Group. And and that's for, you know, mental health therapists that have a community to talk to other therapists that are interested in these things. Because there's a stigma with holistic things. There's so much stigma with that. Even in as professionals, you know, there can be a lot of judgment. Like like you said, the words woo-woo. I just actually, I'm going to be releasing a solo episode. You're not too woo-woo <laughs> the name of it because <laughs> yeah. I feel like we need to just be our authentic selves, especially, you know, holistic. Most of the people that I talk with other there, they're so passionate and they love what they do and they want to spread the word too, but they're scared, right? Because we could right. lose our licensure if we're not ethical about it and legality wise and how do we do this and judgment too from other peers. So mm-hmm. I would say majority are supportive, but there is a small population, um, even in the area here. I'm in North Carolina, so it is the Bible Belt, but there are, mm-hmm. I mean, I still found, you know, I'm building the holistic community here as best I can in my area because it has been isolating. And I think that's where sure. a lot of therapists are feeling isolated. They love these practices. They use them with clients, but they don't have anyone else to talk to. And that's why I created my podcast too, because I felt that way. I was like, I can name on one hand how many people I know that also offer different holistic modalities. But, you know, I just think, like you said, community, just finding other like-minded people can be so invigorating and just really help you keep you centered. Yeah, because what I always say is there's content and then there's context, right? And I think you can read all the books you want, uh, watch all the YouTube videos you want, and that's all well and good. And everyone's learning style is different. But for me personally, when I learn something new, a new skill, a new technique, or just material, I just find that exchanging it or just bouncing ideas and having that exchange, having that sangha, I love that term, just having that dialogue and really easing apart the concepts and really, you know, just just really trying to pick apart what these things really mean and what your experiences can be extremely uh, valuable. Now, you did mention something that I want to understand a little bit better, Chris. You talked about the fact that you're based in North Carolina. If you could expand a little bit more, like obviously different parts of the country, you know, like California, obviously, when you think of like new age philosophies and practices, it seems to be like the Mecca for that. But what is the appetite, I guess, for your services been or just holistic modalities like breath work, yoga, et cetera, in North Carolina or just in your in Raleigh? Yeah. Is that correct? I'm outside of Raleigh, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think wherever you are, you're going to find people. That's what I've discovered is I'm still meeting people, even just my, I I live outside of Raleigh, not in Raleigh now, but uh, you know, there's, 
there's always going to be some people out there who are interested in similar things. It's just finding them can be the challenge. You know, I've been building my holistic community and it's just been awesome because once you find your people, I have what's called holistic happy hours for people, local providers that want to come out and just hang out and be socialized. And, and we have the best discussions. We brought tarot cards last time and just talked about them. And just it's just amazing. Um, and are those so, in person or those are virtual? both? I have okay. virtual, virtual. So people, anybody around the world can join us. And then in person, we just started back a year and a half ago. So, so yeah, we okay. can just, it's really, we go to different social events and even just go out to breakfast or whatever. Just, it doesn't matter where we are as long as we have that building that community locally. There's definitely strength in numbers. And I mean, I think when you're fighting an uphill battle, when you're trying to sort of advance this, something that you strongly believe in, when there's this established mode or sort of, I don't want to say cookie cutter because I think there is so much value in traditional psychotherapy. But yeah, I definitely do think that it takes, for lack of a better word, it takes a village. You know, you do need that community of like-minded people. Now, uh, you did talk about one thing that I, to be honest, I had never actually heard of before, and that is brain spotting. I was wondering if you could Tell me a little bit more about that. A lot of people may have heard of EMDR. Um, mm, that's a mm -hmm. modality that's more common. Actually, interestingly enough, uh, David Grant, who created brain spotting, used to teach EMDR, but he found brain spotting to be more effective. So it's using your visual field. It's based on the concept that where you look impacts how you feel. So let's say that I'm activated, that I'm stressed out with a presentation I have to give tonight and I can feel it in my chest and feeling stressed. And then if I look to my right, I notice, oh my gosh, I feel more activated. I feel more tension. But if I look to my left, I notice I feel calm. So that's two different eye positions. So if I look to the right, if I feel more activated, then that would be what's called an activation spot. And seeing mm -hmm. on the left would be a res what we call a resource spot in brain spotting. So it's connecting our visual field to noticing whether it's a trauma, doesn't matter what problem we're working on. It, it could be anything. You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic, we could brain spot that. It's finding the eye position that coordinates. But there's a lot more to it, obviously. But but yeah, that I've found tremendous success with people using this modality. They're able to process quicker than traditional therapy. It's more much more effective because we can get right to the point. And what it does, if we're thinking about it from a brain level, is it goes to the deeper parts of the brain, the subcortical parts of the brain. Some of that is what was formed when we're really young. We don't have words for it. Sometimes with trauma, we don't have words for it. So that's the way that we can tap into that with the visual field. And everybody does look at brain spots without knowing it. <laughs> if you've ever spaced out and just kind of stare, you're probably brain spotting. You didn't even know it. So it's something that we all have, but this is just utilizing it in therapy to be able to process much quicker because... With traditional talk therapy, we're in the front of the brain, the prefrontal cortex. We can't go to the deeper stuff. We just can't. Right. We can't access that. So the only way to access the deeper parts of the brain in trauma is to to use EMDR or brain spotting. And brain spotting is more finding one spot. EMDR, from what I understand, is is they do more movement of the eyes and bilateral stimulation, like left side, right side, which in brain spotting, we use that with music. So we have music that goes from right ear to left ear and crosses the corpus callosum in the brain. So that helps with integration and helps clients to go deeper. But we do use brain spotting too. Does this make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, it's. I'd have to yeah. do a little bit of a deeper dive. Just That's a whole other episode there. Very interesting. And I, I have heard of uh, EMDR yes. um, before, mm -hmm. and it's, it's one of those 
like I said, I mean, it can be very overwhelming because you find the methodology that resonates yes. with you. Like for me, many years ago when I had a panic attack, for instance, when I do my quote unquote postmortem and I do my analysis of that event, I just know that my breath was completely compromised at that point. Yes. You know, I thought mm -hmm. I went to the hospital, I thought I was having a heart attack and it just turns out that it was just not being in the present, not paying attention to the breath. And that's what led me down that road. And so- since then, I wouldn't say like it was a if-then statement where I just right away, hey, I adopted breathwork. But gradually, I think I have realized that a lot of the issues that I face or my kids face, I think we all benefit if we are anchor ourselves in the present by focusing on the breath. I think I've heard it referred to as like a remote control for your mind almost, because it's like you can really slow down the flow. Everything just seems so larger than life. And just so sped up. And I think that when you do some simple pranayama and you, and you start to pay more attention to it, all that stuff, I wouldn't say it disappears, but it is a lot right. more manageable for sure. There's a great saying, I think it's like a Zen saying or Zen koan or whatever, but uh, the saying is something like, if you only have time, if you only have an hour to meditate, then meditate for two hours, which is just basically like the standard excuse that, oh, I'm too busy or I don't have time. Yes. Uh, that is something that I think to counteract that you really, in that case, you really have to make more of an effort to incorporate meditation mindfulness into your daily routine. How would you encourage people if they do have this challenge? Because we are so busy, we're so wedded to our to-do list. How would you encourage people to live by that uh, philosophy of making time for meditation and mindfulness? In yoga, we set intentions. So making that intention first off to say, you know, this is what I, I'm going to do. But also, and this is what I talk to clients about, is when are you going to do that? Because that's nice to have, oh, yay, I want to do this. But when are you right. going to do it? And are you going to procrastinate? So mm -hmm. what I learned from my meditation experience is to try it in the morning is usually the best thing to get a routine in to figure out, okay, this time I'm going to get up a little, even five minutes, even just give yourself five minutes. If mm -hmm. you don't have five minutes in your life, we need to talk, <laughs> right? Everybody right. can find five minutes. And I think that some people do consider like, oh my gosh, I don't have an hour to meditate. Then don't meditate for an hour. So do what works for you and your lifestyle. But let's say morning, you're not a morning person. It's not going to work. Cool. Let's find another time of day. So maybe right before bed. And I also tell people, try a, a meditation at bedtime, especially if you're already going to be laying down, just put some earbuds in. Right. <laughs> you're already right. there. So it's not even fitting it into your day because you're already going to bed, finding it that way. But also with mindfulness, you don't have to set aside. That's the best part of informal practice is you can just through your day to make it an intention to say, okay, as I do these chores around my house, I'm going to remind myself to stay in the moment, to continue with the sensory, let's say with dishes, to feel the warmth of the water, to smell the scent, to see the bubbles. And if your mind wanders, don't judge, just notice and bring it back and then bring it back right. to the sensory or your feet, just grounding into the moment. Those are things that you can do simply every day, wherever you are. And also using apps like Insight Timer and Aura, which uh, I understand you have a meditation on, uh, right? Correct. I do. Yeah. So I'm a meditation teacher on both of them now, actually. And I do have some breath work on there too. And I can offer listeners 30 days free pass, which I will give to Nikhil too, to put in the show notes. Awesome. Uh, we love goodies. <laughs> well, uh, I do want to dive in a little bit more, Chris, into your podcast and understand like, what would you say is the takeaway that has been extremely profound for you and has just really 
either open your eyes or maybe taken you down a, a different path? That's a big question. There's so much I've learned. <laughs> so much I learn every day. It's funny because, right. you know, I'll be interviewing somebody and I'm, this happened yesterday and I'm taking notes because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's really good. And sometimes sure. they stop talking. I was like, oh, oh, shoot, I'm interviewing because <laughs> I get so <laughs> caught up in what they're right. saying because there's so many amazing practitioners that I've been able to connect with around the world, which is the beauty of podcasting. We can bring us together. But I think just... Yep individualizing, right? Figuring out Mm -hmm. what works best for you may not work for me. So, and unfortunately that can be some trial and error because maybe a somatic approach is something that that you don't want to do that doesn't work. That's okay. You got to, you can find something else. But I think just being open-minded because that, you know, there are some things out there that I know I was skeptical about. So even as therapists, sometimes we're kind of skeptical, like, oh, I don't know about that. But I think the more we can be open minded that, you know, healing comes in so many different ways and there's no standard approach for anyone. So just just being keeping that open mindedness so that maybe that you can find another way to heal that you never thought of. That's the beauty mm-hmm. of it. I'm totally with you. I mean, that's what I've loved about my podcasting journey is just being able to learn new things, but also just the connections that I'm forming. And it's almost like sometimes you get guests and you're just like, really? You know, it's like you've added that person to your network. And then the types of collaboration you can have and the type of content uh, that you can co-create is pretty powerful. It is. And it's usually people we, I never would have met you. I never would have met lots of different people. It's so cool that we can have these connections worldwide. So for people who are getting into it, Chris, I mean, as I mentioned, it is sometimes like drinking from the fire hose and it can be overwhelming, but if they're trying to get into things like breath work or mindfulness, meditation, brain spotting, as you mentioned, who are some like thought leaders in the area or who are some, I think you had mentioned like Thich Nhat Hanh and John Kabat-Zinn on one of your podcasts, but yes. um, mm-hmm. if those are still relevant, oh, yeah, if there are any for sure. thought leader, influential minds in the space, who would you recommend that people check out? Well, my teacher, Christine Weber, she's the one that created Subtle Yoga. So if you want to learn more about that, I'm sure you can probably put her website because that's to you in your show notes because I think that it's a totally different way to look at yoga and I think that it totally blew my mind when just to give you an example so if everybody takes their left wrist up here so I have it in the camera and just see if you can do some rotations so just do some gentle rotation yep so what is most people want to do this right Mm -hmm. let's go as fast as we can but when I first did this with her she's like you got to slow it down I was like what so yeah see how slow you can go so it's all about slow, mindful movements. It's not about how fast. It's not a competition. So it's slowing down so that you can really tap into your interception and knowing where you are. And that's the other part I had forgotten to mention was just the slowness of it is so essential, you know, to really be there. So yeah, Thich Nhat Han is one of my favorites. I did some trainings online with him and unfortunately mm-hmm. he, he passed away a few months ago, away. sadly, yeah. but his books are awesome. If you ever want to learn more about mindfulness, you can jump right in with his. It's so he's so simple to but so powerful. That's why I love all his work. It's just amazing. So uh Chris, I, I do want to uh bring it back to the title of this podcast is Untether Your Life. And so the broad mission is really to change people's ways of thinking, especially when it comes to their perception of therapy, mental and physical health. It's just in America, I think there's this, what I would call like a pill for an ill approach, which is just basically like, you know, if you have heartburn, you take Prilosec. If you have a headache, you take Tylenol. 
And we don't look at the body holistically. We don't look at you know how the brain is connected to the body and spirit, et cetera. I think having discussions with folks like yourself will open people's eyes to different ways of managing that. So I'm bringing all this up because at the end of each episode, what I like to hear from the guests is based on your experience, you know, how would you encourage the listener to untether their life? I think I'm going to go circle back to that openness. So maybe think about trying something you haven't tried before. And like I told you with my skeptical mind, maybe you could find healing in something that right now you're like, ooh, I don't know about that. I'm unsure about that. Maybe just learn a little bit more. See if you can just gently tap the door open and then maybe walk through. It it does take courage sometimes to go in a different direction and to surpass that skeptical part of us. But but you never know what kind of healing you can find if you're not open to it. What's the saying? uh, um, The mind is like a parachute. It works when it's open. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, I think that um, that's so important. So, Chris, this was a this was a great discussion. Uh, you know, I always love uh, yeah. always love your podcast. Always love chatting with you about all all the stuff we're doing that is in the same uh, orbit. I guess you could say with podcasting and all these holistic modalities. So, it was really great to have you on the show. If people are interested in either working with you or learning more about you, where is the best place for them to find you? You can definitely tune into my podcast at holisticcounselingpodcast.com. It's also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere. Um, That's a great way to go into it, but I'm only licensed in the state of North Carolina for therapy in South Carolina. So um, my practice website is Path to Hope Counseling too. And then how about uh, social media? You're on uh, Instagram, I believe. And Yes. Yep. So I'm on there too with Holistic Counseling Podcast is my where you can find me on there as well. Well, thanks so much, Chris. I uh, really you. enjoyed this discussion and uh, yeah, I'm sure it will uh, resonate with a lot of our listeners. Thanks for having thanks me. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed that episode. For more of these types of conversations, please visit us at untetheryourlife.co. You can also find us on Instagram at untetheryourlife, as well as on Apple, Spotify, and other platforms by searching for Untether Your Life. And if you did enjoy this episode, please leave us a review or share it with someone who might also benefit. Thanks, and until the next time we meet, stay untethered.